0: Sue found um, Paul Ravolo when she was looking for people to talk at our conference and give us interesting things to know about. And I think it's well worth our time to listen to him talk about um, both of his projects.
1: Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I just wanted to say I I am so happy uh, that that I was found and and invited to the the convention. I'm really excited to talk to everybody. Um, I'll I'll try to leave a good amount of time at the end for folks to ask questions. So, um, you know, please, please do feel comfortable um, asking, asking those uh, as we get to the end of the presentation. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. I do have some slides, um, but of course, everything will be Uh, communicated non-visually as well. I'm just going to use those for a little bit of my own organization. I have a couple of videos embedded in them. Um, Okay, so hopefully uh, that share went okay. Uh, So the title of my talk is Smartphones for Orientation and Mobility, and I'll explain a little bit more about the work that I do uh, in this space. Um, So my job is uh, I'm an associate professor of computer science at Olin College of Engineering, And um, if you don't know much about Olin College, it's a a unique place. So it was founded in 1997, and it was founded with the goal of redefining how we educate engineers for the 21st century. Um, It's always been a very small school. We have 340 students. Each of our students measures uh, majors in engineering, and we have about 40 faculty members. Um, So... Uh, We don't have any departments. So uh, folks who do computer science are in the same department as those who do anthropology are in the same uh, department as those who do electrical engineering and so forth. Um, We have no tenure Um, and we have a project based curriculum where we feel that the best way for students to learn how to do engineering is to actually do projects and to actually understand um, sort of what what does it take to actually have something come together and what can you learn through that process. And uh, we have a, a big focus on design thinking. So we right from the beginning have been founded to um, teach a version of engineering where students work with people first and foremost to understand what sorts of technologies would would uh, be beneficial to them and work to bring those into being rather than just trying to design some technology because we think it's a cool thing to do. Um, and we've also had a lot of focus on uh, real-world impact. So how can we make things that actually have an impact on people's lives? Um, so those are just some of the sort of core values of Olin College. And I've been really happy to be at this uh, school for the last uh, eight years. So this is my eighth year at Olin. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about my personal journey uh, to doing the type of work that I'm doing right now. So. Uh, In my PhD, I studied machine learning. So you can think of that as sort of the process of getting computers to do various tasks by giving them uh, a set of training data to learn from. uh, Something that's obviously kind of in the news a lot these days. And I also worked a lot on uh, social robots. Um, These were very sort of creepy, really realistic robot heads and things of that nature. It was interesting work. I did enjoy it, It but it was not where my heart really was. Um, I was really excited about undergraduate education. I wanted to do something that had more relevance sort of uh, to everyday people's lives. Um, So I came to Olin and I kind of showed up. And I think the kind of attitude that I had at the time was one that I think is very common within engineering, which is that I am the engineer and I have this belief that technology can be employed to solve any problem. So all we need to do is throw enough technology at the problem and the problem will go away. So if somebody has, has an issue, they can just talk to the engineer and they're going to figure it all out for them. That's a pretty, a little bit of a caricature, uh, deliberately of what, what I thought at the time, but there were definitely some elements of that type of thinking that I, that I kind of embodied. Um, and, So over the years, uh, as I've worked at Olin, I think really been immersed in sort of the interdisciplinary uh, curriculum and had a lot of collaborations with colleagues from many different fields. Uh, The way I like to think of myself, or at least this is an idealized version of who I like to be, is that I like to think of myself as a user-centered designer, and I like to think that I take a multidisciplinary approach to the work that I do. And hopefully I've learned some humility along the way. I'm not totally sure about that one. Um, but I think this is the way, in, in my opinion, to do uh, do the right type of work, work in this field. So I'll tell you a little bit about some of my projects, but I just wanted to highlight sort of my personal transformation on the way to doing this work. So um, shortly after I came to Olin, um, I had a number of ideas about Um, projects that I thought would be useful to people who are blind or visually impaired. And uh, we started out with a couple ideas. Pretty shortly, it became clear that using a user-centered approach would be the right way to go in terms of figuring out what the right technologies are to develop and how we might develop them. So uh, my students and I, we started reaching out to folks in the Boston area who are blind or visually impaired, and we did a lot of interviews with people to understand Um, What are the things they value? What are areas where technology could potentially play a role in enhancing their lives? And just trying to understand more what their experiences were like. Uh, We did a lot of observation of folks in daily life situations, a lot of sort of ethnographic research where we would follow people around and watch them doing things, for instance, going shopping. Um, And we brought in a lot of interns uh, from different organizations for the blind or visually impaired in the Boston area that would work with us over the course of uh, a long period of time and give us feedback and help us come up with ideas. Um, And finally, uh, in my group, I've always had uh, computer scientists who are blind or visually impaired who uh, don't really function as sort of users in the same sense of you know, Because th- they're actually you know, implementing the technology. They sort of have the experience of being uh, one of the people who might benefit from the technology, so they have that personal experience, but primarily what they're doing is actually working on the building of the technology itself. Um, so we did a bunch of this user-centered design research, and what came out of that is that there are some things that seem like really good areas where technology might be able to play a role in improving the quality of life for folks who are blind and visually impaired. And the area we kind of focused on turned out to be orientation and mobility. Um, So we identified a few problems that um, are, can be difficult for some people who who are blind or visually impaired. Of course, everybody is is different. No two people are alike, Um, and not you know not everybody has has these these challenges, but we we thought that these were ones that kept coming up in our, our conversations with folks. Um, so these would be things like navigating independently through uh, an unfamiliar indoor space. Like imagine going to um, an office building or a mall or um, something of that nature for the first time, and you maybe don't have a great sense of the you know the layout of the place. Uh, that would be one challenging situation. Um, another thing is even in environments you may be familiar with how to get from say point A to point B, you might not know what are the sort of things that are along the way that are along the route. Um, So it might be nice to have some way to do that uh, more easily. Um, And then things like uh, even when you're outside and you have GPS, there's certain tasks that GPS is not accurate enough for, for instance, finding your way to a bus stop. You have to get to the exact pole where the bus is going to stop or finding a curb cut or a, a light pole to activate the, the crossing device, those types of things. Um, and also things like finding objects. So if an object is misplaced, it may be difficult to find if, you know, for instance, if somebody moved it or something along those lines. Um, so we started thinking about, you know, what types of technologies uh, could we employ to start thinking about uh, some solutions in these spaces? Um, and, the, and the thing that we started focusing on was smartphones. So I was probably no not a controversial controversial statement to say that smartphones have been a tremendous boon to accessibility in so many ways. Uh, there's so many uh, technologies that have been built on top of the smartphone. It enables um, uh, us to build technologies at relatively low cost. Um, once you have a smartphone, you're able to access a whole world of apps that can uh, be used in all sorts of different purposes. So And there's also built-in accessibility features, whether you're talking about interfacing to a a refreshable Braille display, or whether you're talking about interfacing to um, a a, a screen reader of some type. So that seemed like a really compelling area for us to focus focus in on. So that's what we've been doing in my group over the last five or six years now. And one of the technologies that immediately became clear would play a role in the sort of... Uh, technologies that we developed is this idea of augmented reality and just to give folks a sense uh, folks may have some familiarity with with augmented reality but the general idea with augmented reality is trying to get virtual content to sort of mingle with the physical world on an electronic device so on this slide I have a picture and it's showing um, a woman holding uh, what looks to be a tablet maybe an iPad and She has the screen pointed towards a scene, and on the ground, they're superimposed a sort of virtual city. So the virtual city appears to be sort of um, springing out of the ground. And what what happened in an application like this is uh, this person could sort of walk around on the floor and examine this virtual city from different angles. So it's not just as if this content is displayed and it just stays there, it actually behaves as as if it were a physical object in the world. All right. So these technologies, you know, weren't really developed with the notion that they could be used for assistive technologies or specifically for people who are blind or visually impaired. But um, we have actually a tremendous opportunity to build on top of these technologies to create um, technology explicitly for uh, these groups. So key characteristics that make this a really attractive technology. So, one thing is that it's really high precision. So it's able to really accurately estimate motion in 3D, in 3D as uh, the device moves around. Um, importantly, also, it doesn't require GPS. So it can actually be used indoors, unlike GPS, where you're not going to really get a very good signal. Um, it doesn't run on every smartphone, of course. Uh, it, you know, If I'm just talking about iPhones, it does run on all iPhone models made in the last five years. And it's also a really nice technology in that you can explore sort of your environment spatially. So if you think about giving information to a user, one way that they can explore that is by moving their body or rotating their body, and they'll be presented with information that's relevant for sort of wherever they happen to be, uh you know, pointing at that time. Um One thing that's important to note is that you know, it does have a lot of great qualities. One of the qualities that's maybe not so great is that it requires uh, the phone's camera to be out and facing the world at all times. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, and then finally, it doesn't use GPS. But the downside of it of that is that the estimates of the motion of this device are really just relative to where it started. It doesn't really have a lot of absolute landmarks or absolute reference points in order to sort of um, reference its location to. Um, so that can be challenging when you're dealing with things like orientation and mobility. Okay, so that's sort of the technology in a, in a nutshell. Um, so now I want to talk a little bit about the one of the apps that we've developed that is built on top of this augmented reality technology, but is specifically designed to help people who are blind and visually impaired with orientation and mobility. So um, our app Clue, uh, and that's spelled C-L-E-W, um, which was a very nerdy name that we came up with that is from the sort of uh, leg- the Greek mythology of uh, the Minotaur's Labyrinth, where there was a ball of yarn, the magic ball of yarn, spooled out in front of Theseus and led him to the Minotaur. Um, and we really chose that because all the other be- good, better metaphors were already taken, Those so, so things like breadcrumbs and, and things of that nature. So uh, we settled on the, on the name Clue. Um, and the major features that, it, that it, it can be used for is that a user can take their phone and record a route. The route could be an indoor environment. So it could be, say, um, you know, between uh, your desk at, in an office building and like an elevator. That would be an example of a route you could record. Or you could also do it in an outdoor environment as well. Um, mm-hmm. When these routes are recorded, we sort of... Imagine either that um, they might be recorded with the help of a sighted guide if this is an area that you're not familiar with, Um, or there's some situations where recording the route in one direction is a lot easier than following it back in the other direction. Uh, I can talk a little bit about that as well. So um, you're able to record the route. So the recording the route consists of holding the phone, moving along the route that you'd like to record, and then hitting stop at the end. And once you hit stop, you're able to hit a route navigation button where the phone, now that the route has been recorded, can automatically give you uh, guidance back along that route. So using a combination of vibrations or haptic feedback, speech directions like turn left or turn right, and also sound feedback, which would be like little beeping sounds, which you'll hear in in a little bit, um, you would be able to sort of find your way back along the route. Um, additionally, there's, uh, support for saving routes. So we actually have a mechanism for saving the routes. You could, you could follow it anytime you'd like in the future. And I'm going to show a demo of that in a second. Um, I'd also like to say that the app allows you to share routes with other folks. So you could send a route to somebody else. Um, right now that's a little bit difficult to use of a feature. And I'll talk a little bit about why that is in in a, in a little bit. Um, and then finally, uh, I'd just like to say the app is free and I, I intend to always have it be free for anybody to use. Okay, so I'm gonna show a demo. So in this case, this is uh, one of the developers of Clue at a, when we presented at a conference. So in this video, um, uh, the person has asked- Insufficient how,
2: visual features, oops. tracking performance is degraded. Uh,
1: the person has asked how to get to the elevator. So this is Chris Yoon, one of the developers. And I sent him the route that I had previously recorded. He loaded it into his phone. And now he's aligning himself to the route. So he's moving to a part of the space that he knows how to get to. And he's pushing his phone to anchor
2: point. Starting navigation. against Slide the right. wall. And
1: that is aligning him into the route that's already been recorded. Um, so now that he's been aligned into the route, he's able to walk down the hall of the conference. In, of the conference. Um, and what you're seeing here, or what you would see here, is the visuals are superimposed on the scene and whenever that clicking sound continues straight is um, heard, that is that is a case where is Chris is Traffic pointing his normal. phone along the route that he's traveling visual features.
2: Tracking performance is degraded.
1: Um, okay uh, so so that, that's an example of how it would work. So you would you would load the route you would an, align yourself to the route. Um, this requires push, putting the phone in a known location. Um, sometimes the route can be loaded without doing that, but that's sort of the fallback, um, is to use a landmark to do the alignment. And then the automatic guidance is able to guide him over to the elevator. So Chris was able to traverse through the lobby of the conference room and arrive at the, um, at the elevator. Okay, so I'll just say briefly about, uh, you know, what people have been doing with the app or, or reception to the app. Um, so the app is used, uh, by roughly, roughly a thousand different users a month, uh, from all over the world. Um, most of the users are in the United States, but actually you shouldn't say the most common group of users in the United States, but more user actually outside the United States than inside the United States. Um, we have translations in Spanish and also Arabic. So folks use it from those markets a lot. Um, we've talked to some of the users of the app, although we haven't talked to as many as we'd like to, and I'll say more about that later with some opportunities are, around that. Um, so uh, feedback has uh, consisted of you know, requests for new features, suggestions for how we might tweak the interface, um, requests for new uh, translations of the app, and uh, just some general reports of various bugs that we've been able to, to fix. Um, when we ask people what they use the app for most of all, the biggest things we get are Short uh, outdoor routes, so sometimes people have a route where they want to go, say, from, um, you know, like their garage to some part in their their yards. People record routes like that that are, you know, on the order of like, you know, 50 to 100 feet. Um, we've also heard a lot of reports of folks using it inside of open concept offices where there might not be a lot of walls or other sort of landmarks to use for shorelining with a cane in order to navigate along the route. Um, and also using them in uh, hotels where folks might only be there for a short time and they don't really have time to learn the route all that well. Um, so despite the fact that there's been, you know, some, some definitely some positive reception to the app, um, there's also been some ways in which, um, you know, things could certainly be improved a lot. So we found that there's been some di- a lot of difficulties or some difficulties using the app, um, so things like navigating along really long routes, that doesn't work so well. If you want to do a route that's you know, uh, you know, a mile long, that will certainly almost definitely not work. Um, also, for a, a number of folks, uh, having the phone in, in a good position to enable the system to work well could be difficult. So um, in order for the system to work well, you really want the camera out and pointing straight in the direction that you're walking Um, For some folks, it's a little bit harder for them to maintain the phone in that direction um, through, of course, no fault of their own. And the app can have some trouble in that case. So we've been developing um, ways to make that better and to improve on that um, experience as well. Um, So we were able to essentially learn some characteristics of what are the factors that lead people to have positive experiences with the app. And we can tell that because people can give a thumbs up or a thumbs down whenever they navigate along a route. Okay, so um, I'll say a little bit about uh, some of the new features that we've been working on. Um, so uh, one of the most uh, requested features we've gotten is the ability to leave spatial voice notes. So the idea that when you record a route, you don't necessarily only want to record sort of your path through an environment, but maybe there's some uh, you know notes you'd like to leave along the way. Uh, so this could either be for, a user uh, who's recording the app for their own use. If they want recording the route for their own use, if they would like to remember something about something that's along the route, or maybe there's a certain landmark they're looking for, Um, or it could be used by an orientation mobility trainer. Perhaps they want to record a route with a client where they would then mark a bunch of locations along the route and they would have some, you know, description of a particular landmark to look for or some idea of how to navigate route more effectively and then these voice notes could then be loaded back by the client at a later time and they could practice the route and they could have the orientation mobility instructors um, instructors tagged to a particular part of the route so as soon as they get to that part of the route all of a sudden that that feedback would be announced to them Um, we're also working on the ability to take detours so if you're, you're going along a route and you'd like to take a detour um, we will automatically record that detour and enable automatic guidance back to the, the main route. Um, that's also something we've been working on. Um, in order to uh, help with the accuracy of the app, we've had some users tell us that they've had some situations where they're very confident they're on the right path, but the app may be a little bit confused or say that they're they're you know off the path when they know they're not. Um, what we can actually do in that case is we're develop, we've developed a feature where users can say that they're on the route, and that will cause the phone to realign the route to where the user is. And so in that way, the person's own orientation mobility skills could actually help make the system more accurate. And then there may be parts of the route where conventional orientation mobility skills are not as well suited. For instance, traversing across like an open space where there's not a lot of landmarks. And in that case, the app could sort of provide some value and help the user across that part of the the route. Um, We have been working on better methods for reloading and also saving, reloading of saved routes. So in that video that I showed, the Chris had to actually take his phone and push it against a wall in order to realign his phone to the saved route. Um, That's obviously not like a great interaction. We like really, we totally realized that. Um, but it's sort of a necessary evil given where the technology is right now. So we've been working on various methods of doing realignment, for instance, using uh, camera images instead of a physical alignment, Um, but none of them so far have been able to replace this old old method that we have. All right. So uh, those are kind of like the things that we're working on in like sort of the short term. Um, You know, what I think are sort of the major opportunities for improvement of an of this app and other related apps. So I think there's a lot of um, room to think about enhanced usability and accessibility. So um, this whole idea of augmented reality where you're able to explore an environment by moving your body around and having it um, sort of provide you with um, information is going to be a big deal going forward. Um, I feel like whenever Apple decides to do its augmented reality glasses, which I feel like most people suspect they will, there's going to be an explosion of sort of augmented reality apps. And I think one thing we need to be doing is thinking a lot about how do we make those apps from the beginning as accessible and usable as possible for people um, uh, of all different all different sorts. So folks who are visually impaired, um, I think we need to be designing for that right from the beginning and not thinking about it as an afterthought. Um, So that's one thing I'm I'm thinking about a lot. Uh, Another thing is uh, better support for hands-free operation. So I know that with some other assistive tech products like Ira, I know a lot of people use it hands-free. So I'm also trying to think about how to use that with Clue. Um, We've also got a lot of requests for, uh, you know, support for routes that involve both outdoor and indoor portions. So there might be a part of your route where you're navigating down a street and then you get to a bit a business where you'd like to enter that business, and then we want to be able to trans translate into the indoor environment as well, so you can have one cohesive experience where you can navigate just with that one app. Um, and then, of course, the ability to explore an environment—we haven't done much of that at all. So, how do we figure out, even if we have a route, how do we figure out what's around the, around the person? Um, one thing we've also been working on is. Uh, a related project called Invisible Map. And this is one where we try to take the ideas in Clue and really scale them up so they could work in much larger environments. Um, so one of the big challenges with uh, Clue is that over really long routes, the tracking starts to get less and less accurate. And so it's, it's quite accurate at the beginning, but if you start going really, really far, like if you go a half mile or even like a quarter mile, eventually the tracking is going to get quite, quite a bit off. Um, and so we've developed a technology. It's not really n- anything necessarily all that new, but we're just trying to make it easier to deploy in situations where instead of deploying infrastructure like a like Bluetooth beacons in an indoor environment, you can actually put special signs. These signs are these sort of black and white patterns that uh, fo- phone cameras are really good at picking out of a scene, and their phone can tell where it is relative to that. That, um, that sort of sign. And these signs act as sort of anchors in a map of an environment. So um, once you've created a map, um, somebody can basically put these tags up in, their, in, a, in a business or other um, type of indoor space. Somebody walks around one time, collects a map and saves all the points of interest. That map is then saved in a database. And then when a user comes in, all they need to do is load that map automatically and as soon as their phone sees one of these tags, they'll immediately be placed into the map and they can get directions to any point in the environment. Um, so we have a we have a prototype of that uh, that we've created and we're at the point where we're starting to look for folks who might be interested in sort of testing that with us. So people who manage public spaces or or businesses or community centers, things of that nature, where they think people who use those spaces might benefit from something like this. So uh, I have a couple uh, requests for for help, uh, basically. So um, I have a, a couple opportunities if, if you find this, this, this type of technology interesting or would like to play a role in its development. Um, so the first request is that recently we've uh, received a grant from the National Science Foundation to um, develop a system to do co-design of apps like Clue, um, but distributed all around the country. Um, so right now, Most of the co-design that we did with Clue, we did face-to-face with people in the Boston area. Um, What we'd really like to do is have a system where folks can do co-design with us, but do it remotely and do it on their own time. So not necessarily do it when we're there watching them, but do something where they might try something out um, and be able to give us feedback easily through their smartphone. Um, Because we think one of the things that's holding back this type of technology is that it can sometimes be difficult to get uh, information about how the technology works for particular people in particular situations. And so we are developing um, a system to do this. And I am looking for people who would like to be a part of that process. So um, I have my email uh, on on the slides and I'll say it now. It's paul.ruvalo, R-U-V as in Victor, O-L-O at olin.edu. And I'll maybe mention that one more time um, before, before my talk is over. Um, And then the second request is related to the one that I I just mentioned uh, before, the invisible map project, which is that if you are a manager of a space community center or area indoor environment where you think that folks would benefit from being able to navigate easily with their smartphones um, and you would be interested in partnering with us, I would be really excited to hear from you. Um, this would require you to put a, a special signage in your environment. So there is sort of a, a need to modify your, your environment. But the cost is uh, basically free in that the signs are easily printable with like a, a normal sort of you know, inkjet printer. So there's not it's designed to be a lower cost alternative to Bluetooth beacons. Okay, so that's one of the projects I wanted to talk about. And then I, I wanted to m- more briefly talk about Um, a different project that I've been working on that involves smartphones for orientation and mobility, but approaches the, the sort of the area in a very different way. So uh, about three years ago, uh, Eric German, who's an orientation mobility instructor at Perkins school for the blind contacted me and asked me to talk to him about high-tech orientation mobility technology. So Um, I went over there and we had a a really long conversation where we talked a lot about these different technologies that are coming out. And we sort of got to talking about uh, the work that Eric does with his students at Perkins. And one thing that he mentioned was, you know, it'd be really great to have some technology, not that would would be something that even augments the cane or obviously replacing the cane is is never something I would advocate, but not even augmenting the cane, what would really be cool is what if we had technology that could help kids learn how to use the cane? So let's shift it from what can we do to make new technologies that are used with the cane to sort of what can technology do to actually enable people to use the cane better and more effectively? And so um, we essentially started a project where we really started to think about um, how could we design uh, a piece of technology that would get his students to be excited to practice using their cane, that would get them to think that their cane was super cool and, you know, really awesome. Um, So he he had a lot of games that he'd been playing with the students or ways that he did instruction to get them motivated. And he really wanted to to kind of take those to the next level. So we've been working together for the last uh, three years or so. Uh, why is my slide not working? Um, okay, so I, I'm going to uh, just show it in non presentation mode. Um, so, one of the things that we really settled on was how do we teach cane skills? Um, and one thing that Eric had noticed with his students was that oftentimes they um, weren't super motivated to practice their, their cane technique or they would not do a full range of motion when they were doing a sweep back and forth. Um, in, in, in those types of situations, Um, you know the students weren't progressing very quickly with their ability to use their cane and Eric was always saying how you know all his students all they want to do is go to their music therapy class because all the teachers have the coolest technology and the best like most fun things for them to do and orientation mobility is like the you know eating your peas or something it's like you know the thing you kind of don't want to do but you kind of have to do Um, So we started thinking like maybe we could make the act of learning how to use a cane into more of a game. So um, we started developing a bunch of types prototypes of systems where we could detect the motion of a cane and then with a smartphone and then link it into some sort of game like experience. So um, in this uh, set of pictures here, I'm showing an early prototype where I'm holding a cane and there's a special Um, optical marker, which is the same type of marker that we use in the invisible map project, but it's actually attached to the cane. And there's also a screenshot of a smartphone, which in this case, I was wearing like attached to a harness that was on my, on my chest. And the smartphone is able to detect the cane as it moves back and forth. And that was pretty cool. And it enabled us to create some kind of fun game like experiences. For instance, we had a game where every time the student would sweep back and forth, it would either count or sometimes after a certain amount of time, it would play um, a sound, uh, their favorite song. So Eric was able to get um, the kids' favorite, uh, you know, songs from their favorite Disney movie or something, have it queued up on his iPhone, and it would play whenever, whenever that um, student and got to a certain number of cane sweeps. Um, that that version was um, very cool, but also very unwieldy and very difficult to actually use in practice, just because having to put a phone on a student and then controlling that remotely. And there was all sorts of moving parts and it. it was very difficult to use. So what we wound up doing is developing the second iteration of this technology. And what you are, what is on this slide is a, are, are one picture and one video. Um, one of the pictures shows a small sensor. Um, this is a Bluetooth sensor. It runs on a rechargeable battery and it weighs about a quarter of an ounce. It's very lightweight. And it can be attached to a cane. In this case, we have our own sort of custom bracket that we are able to use to attach to a cane. We're working on one that's a little bit easier to take on and off the cane. And what this sensor does is it can sense the motion of the cane. Similarly to how your phone can tell how it's moving through space, a very similar type of sensor is on, the, on this cane, uh, on, this, uh, on this sensor. And it takes that data and it streams it wirelessly to a phone. And with that technology, we're able to actually have a similar game like experience where we can have it control um, playing music or counting or whatever the student is into. Um, they can do it just by moving their cane back and forth. So I'll play a video showing it kind of in action. Um, and I'll just say what's happening. So in the beginning of the video, um, this is me using it, but we have done use this with plenty of, of kids as well. Um, in the video, I'm moving my cane back and forth, but I'm not quite doing the full range of motion. I'm not going to two inches outside of either shoulder. Um, and in those cases, the app is registering that I'm moving my cane, but it's not actually getting to the point where it's saying that I've gone far enough in order to, um, you know, sort of play the music that I have queued up. Um, so I go back and forth and then at some point, my sweep is able to get to the point where it's the app thinks that I've gone far enough in order to play the song. And then you can kind of just keep going back and forth as the music plays. And then if you wind up going too wide, then the the music will stop again. Um, so it's a pretty, you know, simple interaction. We also have other, like I said, other modes for um, playing sounds and things of that nature. Um, there's also a built-in mode for Bluetooth beacons, for things like navigation and things like that. And our ultimate goal is to sort of develop a set of technologies that folks can use for teaching orientation mobility and getting kids excited to practice using their cane, get them out, moving around and, and sort of exploring their environment. Cause we know that's so important. Um, and I, one reason I do mention this is because, um, we are at this point very interested to explore whether this is a, a piece of technology that would be generally interesting to folks. So if there are any, uh, folks on the call who would potentially be interested in a system such as this, I would also really like to hear from you um, about this as well. So, um, you know, it may not be a product that's going to, you know, be used by millions of people, but it might be something that uh, there are a good number of people interested in and and hopefully that would be able to have an impact on um, picking up better cane skills and helping with this type of orientation mobility education. Um, so I just wanted to, to close my, my talk. Uh, I listed some of my collaborators on this slide, but actually I've forgotten a few that I've seen here, but, um, I've had probably 20 to 30 students working on these projects, uh, acknowledging Eric German, my collaborator at Perkins and Katrin Lynch, a faculty member who I've taught a lot with in this space of accessibility. And also I'm talking a lot about research with, um, and also, uh, the funders of the work. So the Peabody foundation has uh, funded this work for the last, uh, Four years and lately we've been funded by the National Science Foundation um, so that that's all I had planned to say and i I would love to just take a few questions if anybody has any
0: okay if anybody has a question you can raise your hand
1: this is
3: Doug I have a quick question about your first um, project that you were asking for volunteers for yes is, is this um, more in lines of software development or testing or what what kind of uh, what would the person do that would work on the first part of your your uh, your first request, the one
1: where they can work from home? Right. Uh, yeah. So there's there's really like both of those are are on the table. I had meant it more for uh, co- I, I would call it co-design in the sense of like you would be trying out features, but also contributing ideas um, to the project as well. So it's not just testing something that's already been you know all fleshed out and developed. It would be trying something out. And like, if you have a suggestion for, Oh, wouldn't it be great if you know, the app could do this, or have you thought about this other type of app or this other type of thinking about the problem? Um, so we're really trying to structure it more as a community where people be like kind of working together towards these goals um, and trying to build a sense of shared ownership over the work. Um, so that's one, one Avenue. But then I would also say that if there are folks who are interested in working on it, I do have uh you know, summer summer research positions open or or other, you know, other things that, you know, could lead to the ability to work directly on the implementation of the software as well. So both of those could be on the table. Thank you.
0: Okay. We have one hand raised. Will, you should be able to unmute and ask your question.
2: So um, in, in looking at your technology, I'm just wondering how you can uh, put these these markers that you talk about in things that already already exist. Um, for example, I was just thinking, like uh, with with traffic lights, is there and this is this is probably going a little ahead of where you're at, but but a way to incorporate it in the the mechanism of the traffic light so that that you can cross cross streets, get information for crossing streets what the name of that street is um that kind of thing to to assist you in in traveling for example i live in a in chester county and there's the county seat is westchester uh which is a small town but but you know a busy town as it is and and so it would be nice to have something that is another another tool that helps with crossing streets
1: i think that's a really very interesting idea and i mean i think It would be, uh, I mean, I think it it is a, it is a possibility. I think the key in that case would be getting, you know, cities and townships to sort of standardize on something. I guess you would probably need some sort of organization around a a common standard in order to make something like that happen. Um, But I think it is definitely, definitely possible uh, to to, to do like for technologically. um, And then it would just be, how do you organize that in such a way that you could actually have it implemented um, in, a, in a way that's consistent and, and sort of usable in a, a wide variety of situations, which, of course, is always a big challenge.
3: But I really I really like that idea. Thank you. And I have another quick question. This is Doug again. I was waiting to more, see if anybody more. else, but um, have you noticed a difference in performance and Clue with the different models of iPhone? For example, the faster iPhone 11, does it work better than, say, an iPhone 8?
1: yeah i I think it I think it does um, although it's a little bit different I, I I in my own testing I do think that's true. Um, we don't have like a really large scale like systematic test of that um, but for instance like the the models of the phone that have the wide angle camera the, the ultra wide angle camera those ones I, I do notice like a fairly big difference because they're able to use much more of the scene in order to track the motion of the user so being able to do that tracking is the, sort of the key to, to the, the successful ability to track the motion. Um, I, I don't, yeah. And then I guess in closing, I said, say like, you know, we also realize like this type of technology is not, some, not for everybody or not like, so if this is, if there's something about this, you're like, Oh, this seems really intimidating. I would never use something like this. I'm actually also super excited to hear from you as well to like understand whether, You know, whether it's just not for you or whether there's something about the technology that could be made more usable so that more folks could could, uh, try it out and and see if it is something that would be helpful.
0: And
3: and the final question I have, sorry to hog this up. Um, (laughs) There's
0: no raise hand, so you're good. (laughs) um,
3: If I'm creating my own route and I don't always walk a straight line, does it take that into account and try to make me do that? Or does it follow the route that I walk?
1: Yeah. So it'll, it'll follow the route that you do when you record it. So it would, it'll create a series of sort of like markers along the route. And so that would take into account that you might, you wouldn't take a straight line. Um, it's not quite as for If you go off the route, it'll keep trying to take you back to where you walked before. So it's not as good at knowing that there might be multiple ways to go along the same route. Um, so it would kind of, like, force you to – not force you, but, like, it would give you feedback to try to get you to go along the route the same way that it was originally recorded um, with, with some flexibility, but that's generally what it's going to try to do.
3: Great. Thank you. Okay.
0: So this is Chris, and I have a thought um, or a question. So when you when you build the route by going one way – I guess its it going to incorporate the mistakes you've made into it?
1: Yeah, it it will. So that that's another thing that actually have gotten some suggestions around. So yeah, if you if you go like on in the wrong direction and come back, that that will be saved in the route. And there's really not a good way to get rid of that right now.
0: So the ideal thing then would be to get someone to walk you there once the right way, save it, and then use it forever. And and maybe have a. Um, a library of routes in, in a building to get
1: from place to place that people could just use. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way you said that. I mean, that, that is exactly what we're trying to do. Um, I mean, right now we don't really have a model of how people would share these routes with each other on like a large scale. Cause we, we, there's a lot of sort of things we need to think about like data integrity and like making you know trust and those types of things. So right now, the only way to share it is like through like a text message so you have to like be sending it to somebody, you know, um, but yeah, like ideally, you know, there'd be a way that other people could access these routes and just use them whenever they wanted to. Um, and I think the invisible map is moving in a direction where that's going to be feasible. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Hi, Paul. This is Sue. Um, Hi, Sue. I, I jumped off for a little bit. Um, but did you give out your contact information so people can follow up?
1: Uh, I, I said it one time. I mean, if there's an, I, I will say it again. So, uh, my email is paul dot ruvalo so it's r u v as in victor o l o at olin.edu um and i would just love to hear from from anybody i would love to hear from anybody honestly but um especially if you have any interest in those follow-up projects that i mentioned hey paul
2: this is will oh hi hi will good um i i turned off but and does
1: any of your systems warn about uh low-hanging uh um obstacles uh yeah it so they don't so we've kind of we've intentionally sort of taken the notion that this app doesn't do obstacle avoidance so it's kind Mm -hmm. of like you know you have to be doing your own thing in order to avoid obstacles and you need to do your own thing to watch out for your personal safety as you move along a route this is helping give you giving you guidance but it's not gonna Attempt to warn of that type of thing. Like, I mean, it's unfortunate because, like, it is, it is like sort of technically possible, but it's sort of like you know, there's a lot, lot of things to think about there. Um, Right. And I I know there's some products that do it, like the you know Sunu Band or something like that. And um, folks seem to have a good, like, be able to use that and still, you know, they still have their own normal techniques for watching out for those types of obstacles, but it just augments them. So maybe, maybe it mm-hmm. can't be done, but yeah, we don't do right. that. Currently.
2: Okay. I was just thinking if you're in a mall, right. And you're at the, you are here station. If you had a, like a, <clears throat> like a um, cloud drop box and somebody wanted to go to like JC penny and you, you had a sighted person already do routes throughout that mall. Just one, you know what I mean? Establish yeah, those yeah routes. absolutely. Absolutely. And then the blind person could just click on that route and it's been established already and they could just use that to find JCPenney or, you know, shoes or us or whatever. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I definitely love that as a, a vision to, to move towards. And I think that's, yeah, that's where I would love for this technology to go um, whether it's something that I build or something that you know, some mm-hmm. other, other company builds or other person builds. Um, and I don't know, I think, I think the technology is getting, getting there. I think still you need some sort of instrumentation in the environment. So like, you know, probably some folks may have experienced like Bluetooth beacons. Like, a, I know they've had them at some of the conventions. Um, but, uh, yeah. So something like that or these like tags, I think mm-hmm. currently you need something like that, but I, eventually may, the technology might advance to the point where you don't need that anymore. But I think currently you would still need it for like a really large area, like a mall or something. Yeah.
3: How about robo guide dogs?
1: Uh, Yeah. So there actually is a project. Somebody worked on that project. Uh, What was it called? I I can't remember, but it was basically like a suitcase with wheels and you would hold Mm -hmm. on to the handle of the suitcase and it would like kind of drive you, it would like drive around and then you would sort of feel the tug of the, of the suitcase. Mm
2: -hmm. And it was sort
1: of using the dog as sort of like a inspiration. Um and yeah, that that's also very cool, but it, it has a s si- it does have a similar issue of needing to like be able to find its way in the environment. So still it has the challenge of positioning itself. Uh but that's also very that's very cool work. That's out of Carnegie Mellon. There's a group that works on that. It's called Kabat. Yeah, thank you. yeah, Kabat. yeah exactly. It
0: was so, awesome
1: yeah, yeah it, it, I, I was gonna
0: say john I'll go ahead you can talk sorry <laughs> that's okay that's okay I, you unmuted me so i figured it was I okay yeah <laughs> no,
1: thank, I, yeah i got to try it at a conference it was really really it, cool
0: it it was really really awesome i i hope they do a little bit more research now whether or not i'd like to replace my dog with that i don't know but it was a very very interesting concept and i was very happy to try out that oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Listen to her dog crying
1: yeah. It's it about face.
0: replacing her <laughs> that <Right>. she- <laughs> That's so funny yeah that was the that was the other dog oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I did download the app, although I want to give it a try.
1: Okay, yeah, let me know if, if you want to talk chat more about it. Well, folks,
0: it's nine o five or a little bit after, so we have imposed on Mr. Ravolo probably as long as whatever, and I guess it's about time for us to say thank you and download his app and start playing with it okay well
1: thank you all so much and yeah it's not an imposition i'm just gonna pray my children are asleep when i go upstairs but i'm not sure if they're going to be (laughs) right now but um thank you so much for inviting me and it was really really fun talking to you all and yeah maybe you'll do it again sometime who knows thank you yeah thank you okay thank you everybody